So we're in this series on the Lord's Prayer, and we part of the reason that we're doing this series on the Lord's Prayer is because we are trying to really get prayer going in the life of the church. I mean, it is going. I know a lot of people pray, but really develop a culture of praying so it's instinctive, so it's natural. Um, I was down at a church last weekend in Wellington. I missed you guys. I was down in Wellington at a church called the Street City Church. And one of the things that struck me about that church is just that, that somehow prayer is very instinctive and very default. I mean, they just, they, just, they just pray, you know, before anything, before everything. In the middle of stuff, they just, they just, they just pray. And I thought, you know, this is, this is good for us to have in front of us as, a, as an inspiration, as a model of, where, of who we want to be as a community. We want to be a community where prayer is just so normal and so instinctive, so intuitive for us. It's just who we are. It's just what we do. And, and we're getting there with that. We're definitely on the road. But when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, you notice that he talks about um, our Father. Like he, he casts it in the plural. Our Father, not, not my Father. Our Father, um, forgive us and lead us. No, it's all us. It's all we. It's all plural. You know, prayer is supposed to be this community exercise. And what I'm hoping, one of the things I'm hoping might come out of this series is that someone or some people really get a sense that you are going to be not just a prayer, but a leader of prayer in our church. Because I think God's going to raise up someone or raise up some people who will lead prayer. Not just lead prayer as in pray, but lead us in organizing prayer in our church, organizing prayer teams, uh, organizing a prayer week. Organizing intercessory teams for our leaders and staff. These, kinds of, these, these are the kinds of things we want to get going. And we need people who will do that, who will say, you know, I want to pray, but more than that, I want to be a part of seeing prayer become even more central in the life of this community. So if you have a sense that maybe this is you, that maybe this is part of the result of this series, um, just come and have a chat to me. I'd love to talk to you about that and just see where we can plug you in and, and get that going. It's really open stuff and, you know, I've got ideas, but just uh, more than that, just a sense that this is what God wants to do. So we're waiting and we're praying for a prayer. We're praying for someone to pray and lead us in prayer. Does that make sense? So just think about that. Just keep that on your mind. This will be our, today will be our last day in the Lord's Prayer series. And it's been a good five weeks, good five-week journey. Uh, I heard Tim Keel was great last Sunday. Um, a little bit too good, actually, I think, you know, just if he could just step it down a little bit for next time, that'd be just so my self-esteem remains intact, you know. <laughs> but we'll, um, we'll start this morning the same way we've, we've started the others by saying the Lord's Prayer, because I think this is a good discipline for us to get into. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So we're looking this morning at the last phrase. If you've got a Bible, Matthew 6 is where we are. Last phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And uh, when we start talking about temptation and sin and the evil one 
and Satan. We're really in, in territory that the rest of the world considers completely bizarre. I mean, it's worth reminding ourselves of this. I mean, sin, temptation, Satan, the, this is stuff that the rest of the world considers to be just a weird relic of a bygone church age of, of, of hierarchy and authority and institution that really have nothing to do with life today. And so what we tend to do with these, with these ideas is that we empty them of their meaning and we make them into, into little caricatures, little parodies, stereotypes of what they really are, kind of hollow out their meaning. So um, temptation is a perfume type now. And most of the time when, when Kiwis use the word sin, it's followed by the word bin. You know, that's how we generally think about it. And you know, things like greed and envy and lust and jealousy, these are no longer sin, they're pizzas, right? That's how we think about it. And, and as for Satan, he is, apparently he's the guy that, that helps me start my fire, the fire lighters. I don't know whether any of you use these, but these are, these are fire light, Lucifer's fire lighters. And you probably can't see it, but um, this, this guy here is a depiction of Satan. Here he is. He's got a couple little horns, which is the classic Satan thing. Um, but he's got his feet up on a couch. He's on a lazy boy. He's got a cup of coffee in his hand. He's just chilling. He's just by the fire, so it's nice and hot. But he's just, he's just cruising, really. He's got a big smile on his face. He's just, just a happy guy, Lucifer, little Lucifer. So this is kind of, you know, this is, this is who we are. This is what our culture has become. This is what we've done with these ideas of the evil one and, and sin. Yet at the same time, uh, it's also true that we're very quick to acknowledge we live in a world where there is unspeakable evil. And anyone would admit this. Violence, abuse, atrocity, terrorism. We want to name that stuff, and rightly so. We want to name that as evil. So we're not too keen on Satan and the evil one, but we don't have too hard a time acknowledging that we live in a world full of evil. And even at a personal level, we don't like sin, we don't like temptation, but you know, addiction clinics are full. And rehab centers are doing a roaring trade. And therapists and counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists, they're all making a good living off people who claim to you know, sin, well, that's just, that's just from a past era. And yet, clearly, we're struggling. People are struggling. We're battling something, and we're losing. We're battling our own personal demons somehow. So we kind of live in this world of contradiction. We don't like these church, Christian, Bible words. We don't like these concepts. But in some sense, evil and sin and temptation are very much alive and very much in control of us a lot of the time. So into that world of contradiction, you get this prayer that Jesus finishes by saying, lead us not into temptation, praying to God, but deliver us from evil. And I think before we can understand how this, this part of the prayer applies to our lives today, you have to see how it applied and outworked in Jesus' own life. Because as we've seen the whole way through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus didn't just give this prayer to us to pray, He lived it. This was who He was. This is somehow an embodiment of His own ministry an expression of who he is. And just as with these other phrases, Jesus lived this one out. Just a couple of chapters before he says this, just turn back to Matthew 4 for a second. Matthew 4 verse 1. Just before Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, which is where the Lord's Prayer is, before that happens, we read in Matthew 4 1, the, the main event that happens before the Sermon on the Mount, then Jesus was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Is anybody hearing the irony here? Jesus gives us this prayer to pray, says, lead us not into temptation, but just before he does that, Jesus is led into temptation. Isn't that what's going on? Jesus is led into temptation by the Holy Spirit. So I think we're confronted with this uncomfortable reality that maybe for Jesus, this prayer wasn't answered. And then at the other end of Jesus' ministry, if you think of two bookends, the temptation in the wilderness is one. At the other end, you've got the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's Jesus, picture him there, on his knees, crying out to God. You remember the words? If it's possible, may this cup of suffering be taken away from me. He's praying that God would deliver him from evil, isn't he? He's praying, God, deliver me from the evil one. That's basically what it comes down to. And what does God respond? Exactly. Silence. That's what, he, that's what he gets back. That's what he hears. And by the events that unfold, it's quite clear God didn't answer that prayer either. Jesus asks God to be delivered from the evil one, and God proceeds to deliver him over to the evil one. To be crushed, to be punished, to be tormented, to be crucified. So you, the starting point here is this reality that for Jesus, this prayer never got answered. God led Jesus into temptation, and God delivered Jesus over to the evil one, precisely what he tells us to pray that God wouldn't do. God did it for Jesus. And, and of course, this is the whole point. If you know the story and you know where it goes, the whole point is that Jesus is delivered to the evil one for our sake. And Jesus is crushed by the evil one, but in that moment of being crushed on the cross and taking on the sin of all creation, Jesus in that moment overcomes the evil one. That's how Jesus overcomes Satan, by absorbing within himself the evil in the world, by absorbing within himself your sin, my sin, our filth and depravity. He takes it on, he takes it to the cross, and he dies to bring it to an end. And on the cross, Jesus disarms the powers of evil. He disempowers Satan, defeats him, makes a public spectacle of the authorities and powers that Satan has under his control. That's, that's what happens. Jesus defeats evil on the cross. So the reality is this. God didn't answer that prayer for Jesus so that he could answer it for you. Do you see the logic? Jesus, God didn't answer that prayer for Jesus precisely so that he could and will answer it when you pray it. So you can't just pray it in a vacuum, you know, like deliver us from evil, like this is just me and God. No, there's a, there's a backdrop, which is what Jesus has done. He's delivered us from the evil one already. That's actually a completed fact that you and I are delivered from the evil one. If we've placed our faith in Christ... We're delivered from the evil one already. See, most of the time we live like there's this, ah, oh, you know, there's, there's, there, there is a battle going on, and there is a battle, but we kind of act like the outcome is uncertain. I don't know, the war could go this way, the war could go that way, Satan might win, God, I don't know really how, it's, it's kind of like Star Wars, you know, who's going to really win? But the reality is the victory's been won. 
There is already a victory that's won. Jesus has defeated Satan. He has delivered you from the evil one. And you stand already in a position of victory. This is not triumphalism. This is just the reality that we already have the victory in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts, right? This is the, the, the kind of posture you've got to get to pray this prayer, is to acknowledge, first of all, sin is defeated. Satan is our enemy, but he's a defeated enemy. That sin doesn't have to be my master anymore. That I'm not under the powers of darkness. I, I don't have to be controlled by these things because the victory's already been won. So really, this part of the Lord's Prayer is not so much about fighting a war as it is about implementing a victory. It's not so much about waging this uncertain war as it is about implementing a secure victory. It's already been won, and one day will be absolutely implemented. But between then and now, we're praying and living out. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, from whom we've already been delivered. We're praying for what has already been made a reality in principle. I know for you it doesn't feel like that because you're saying, well, what about this thing in my life? I still get angry at people. I still find myself falling into the same old habits of thinking. I still got this addiction. Still got this habit over here. What do you mean the victory's won? Doesn't feel like it in my life. Feels like the war's not only uncertain, feels like I'm losing half the time, right? Let's be honest. Let's be real. Feels like I'm, I'm losing the, temp, the, the battle. I succumb to temptation all the time. So how am I supposed to... Is this just this pie-in-the-sky Christianese talk that we're all victorious in Jesus, but this is not actually the reality on the ground? Just because Jesus has won the victory doesn't mean that it's automatically a reality in your life day to day in concrete and practical terms. That victory still has to be implemented. That victory still has to be outworked. It still has to be claimed. It still has to be acted on. It still has to be made real in your life. It begins with this knowledge and certainty that Jesus really has won it. It really is available. It really is done. But that doesn't mean that temptation is not real. And it doesn't mean that Satan's not real. I think that's what he'd like you to think that it's not really a big deal and he's just not even a, a, real, a real person. But the reality is he is there. Temptation is real. We face it every day. And we can't go to the other extreme of thinking that because Jesus has won the victory, now it's just, hey, we don't even have to try. We don't have to work. We don't have to do anything. I'm just going to have this conquering, overcoming kind of life. No, it's still hard. We still battle. And it's still going to take effort. It is still going to take your effort. It's not easy. Character is important. Virtue is important. But we are implementing a victory. Still needs to be implemented. But it's a victory that's based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's where it comes from. So a couple of things about temptation. This word that Jesus uses, lead us not into temptation. It's the Greek word pyrasmos. And it's, it's a tricky word because it's a bit slippery. It goes in a couple of different directions. In James 1, 13, James says that when we're tempted, which is the same word, pyrasmos, when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Because God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So James is pretty clear that temptation doesn't come from God. But then in Revelation 3, 10, there's this description of an hour of testing that's coming. 
And it sounds like, even though it's not mentioned directly, it sounds like this hour of testing is something that's going to come from God. Something that God's actually going to bring about. It's the same word, but now God seems to be the author of it. But James tells us he can't be. The reason is that pyrasmos can have a couple of meanings. It can mean either temptation or it can mean trial and testing. Where it means temptation, the author and the source of the temptation is Satan, the evil one. And the purpose of the temptation is to tear us down, to trip us up, to destroy us. This is what Satan does. That's his whole agenda. On the other hand, pyrasmos can mean trial or testing. And when it means trial and testing, the source and the author of the trial is God. And the purpose of it is not to tear us down, it's to build us up. It's to give us an opportunity to demonstrate faith, an opportunity to place our dependence on God. So, for example, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. Incredibly tough. This is pyrasmos in the good sense. Doesn't, not, not easy for Abraham, but the purpose is not to lead him into temptation. The purpose is to test the sincerity of his faith and to give him an opportunity to place his complete dependence on God. That's the positive sense of pyrasmos. But we need to be quite clear that when we're in Matthew 6.13 in the Lord's Prayer, the way in which Jesus uses pyrasmos is in the negative sense. That's quite clear because of the following phrase where he talks about the evil one. Obviously, this is coming from Satan. This is not the good type of testing that comes from God. This is from Satan, and it's for the purpose of tearing us down. This is the part that James talked about when he said, God doesn't lead you into this kind of pyrasmos. He doesn't lead you into temptation. God is not the one who's making you want to look at porn. Right? God is not the one who's making you get angry at your spouse. God is not the one who's putting thoughts of bitterness and jealousy and envy in your mind. And we've got to be careful we don't start attributing that stuff to God. That's not testing. That's not trials. That's temptation. And it comes from the evil one. There is an evil one, and many Christians live like there's not, like it's just God and me. But you can't escape the reality in the Bible. There is an evil one, a personal being. He's called the accuser, the satanos, the Satan, and he is the adversary of God. That makes this a battle. That's, that's now the context of our Christian walk because we have God, but we also have an adversary. And Satan's entire agenda, John 10.10, 10, is to steal and kill and destroy. That's, what, that's who he's about. He wants to steal your faith, kill your hope, destroy your faith and your love for God and for others to distract you from what God would have you do in your life, to turn you towards yourself, preoccupy you with your own interests, turn you away from others, to tear your life apart from the inside out, to get you thinking, speaking, looking and acting in ways that are absolutely contrary to the purposes of God. We need to wake up to the fact that this is happening. I'm not saying this to scare you. This is simply the reality. We have an enemy. He's a defeated enemy, but he's still alive and active. And he's, he's seeking to take you down. He wants to take you down. He wants to take your marriage down. He wants to take down your kids and your friendships and your reputation and your relationship with God. And he plays dirty. 
He plays both sides of the table. He is both accuser and tempter. So he'll tempt you to sin, and then he'll turn around the other side and he'll accuse you of sinning. This is how deceptive he is. He will tempt you into something you don't want to do, and then he'll turn around and go, aha, you did it. Now you should feel guilty and condemned, and God's never going to forgive you. You see, you know what's happening. He's just switching roles, and he'll do it all the time so that he'll tempt and then accuse, and he'll tempt and then accuse, and he'll just keep on pushing us down and down and down and down. He will use whatever tactics he can. And James 1 says again, when tempted, we're not tempted by God, we're tempted by Satan, and each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. This is how Satan works. Ultimately, he is the author of all temptation, but he works through our own desires. It's not like he's just standing out there doing stuff at a distance. He works through the inclination of our own heart. So he exploits your weaknesses. He finds that Achilles heel. You're prone to kind of lose your temper and get angry. And he just drives a wedge in there and cranks it so that you're just triggered by little things. You don't want to hurt the people you love, but you find yourself just getting angry and blowing up and saying things you regret. This is temptation. He works on that little selfish streak in your life just to make you completely self-absorbed, preoccupied just with me and my stuff and totally numb to the needs of my spouse, my kids, my colleagues, people in need. just turns you inwards. He works on that inclination of your heart to be consumed by things that God is just not interested in for your life to have you distracted and obsessing about things. The job, the boat, the batch, the finances. And he'll work you into a frenzy over all that stuff because if he can keep you occupied and distracted over here, he knows that you're not going to be much good to God over here. So over time, and it's not like, I mean, he's smart, you know. We, th we kind of think Satan, we don't give him much credit, to be honest, but he knows you. And he knows your weaknesses. And he's not going to come to you and encourage you to have an affair He's going to come to you and just prompt you to make that one flirtatious comment in the office. One little touch of the hand. He'll just get you to take the first step. And then when you've taken the first step, then the second step. Each one just seems so small. But he knows how to work it. He knows exactly what's going to turn your crank. He knows exactly what that weakness of yours is. This is why, friends, we've got to start with the victory of the cross. Because otherwise, this can all become overwhelming. We start to get scared. We start to get frightened. Oh, my goodness, I'm just a sitting duck. Well, there is a battle that's raging, and you have an enemy that's real, but you also have a victory in Jesus. And you also have the power of the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead living within you. That's where you are. That's where you stand. And the Bible's quite clear. Greater is the one who's in you than the one who's in the world. That's not you by yourself. That's the Spirit of God. Greater is the one who's within you than the one who's within the world. So don't be naive. Satan is going to exploit whatever he can in your life, and right now he's working to distract you, preoccupy you, turn you away from God and self and others. But you have a victory. Jesus is real. He is here. And he's going to give you the grace and the strength and the power that you need to resist and to withstand and that's the essence of this, of this phrase, lead us not into temptation. When you say those words, lead us not into temptation, it sounds a bit, it does to me, it sounds a bit like we're asking God to kind of spare us from temptation, doesn't it? Lead us not, don't, don't even let me go into temptation. 
And we can get into this place, we kind of assume if we just pray hard enough, God will maybe let us go around the side of it. But the sense of this passage is not asking God to exempt you from temptation, because he's not going to do that, but asking God to give us the strength to stand firm against the devil and the devil's schemes. Asking God to give us the strength to withstand temptation. Not to, not to take us around the storm, but to give us the strength in the middle of the storm. Because temptation is normal and it's real. We can't be this sort of blind, naive, oh, no, 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 it's all, Jesus has got that under control. It's real. You're in a battle and Satan's going to turn the crank however he can. But God has won the victory. And what we need to do is ask God to give us the strength to withstand. It's interesting that Jesus here doesn't just tell us to, to do stuff. He tells us to pray. This is all in the context of the Lord's prayer. And I don't know whether you've done this, and I was convicted by the fact that I don't really do this much, actually talking to God about the stuff that we're battling. Actually bringing that stuff to God, talking to Him about it. Most of the time we're just like, okay, I've just got to try and deal with this, just try and defeat it and... You and I know how far your self-control, willpower, and effort's going to get you, right? It's going to get you depressed. That's what it's going to get you. That's why we need to start with prayer. And regularly coming to God, bringing all of ourselves to Him, and just confronting the reality of the stuff that we're fighting, the stuff that's dragging you down, the battles that you're losing, and just having an honest conversation with Him about it. The, the, the word for this in the scriptures is confession. The discipline of confession. It's not to, to guilt trip you. It's not to depress you. It's because confession and prayer brings us face to face with the reality of our sin. Most of the time we're so busy sinning, we don't even realize what we're doing. And part of what Jesus is saying is just stop, turn to God, bring the stuff that you're battling to God and remind yourself that he has already forgiven you for it. He's already forgiven you for the dumb stuff that you're doing and for the victim mentality that you just can't escape and for the lazy streak, for the mistakes in your past. He's already forgiven you. We come to God not just to hear him wrap us over the knuckles, but to receive afresh his grace and his forgiveness. To hear him say, hey, I love you. And I know it's hard. And I know that you're battling. And I know this thing has got a hold on you and you feel powerless against it. But I want you to know that you're mine and I'm not giving up on you. And I love you and I've forgiven you. And wherever your sin abounds, you need to hear the grace of God abounds even more, even more. Covers all of your sin, past, present, future. But this process of confession is still important. And part of the reason it's important is because we're often blind to stuff in our lives. So the discipline is to come to God and not just confess the things we know, but also to say, God, you know, is there stuff in my life that you need to reveal to me that, that I need to know about? I don't, even, I don't even realize it yet. This is praying David's prayer where he says, Search me, O God, and examine my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me. That's a pretty dangerous prayer because God might just answer it which is not what we really want when we pray it, right? We just kind of want to know that everything's okay. But God might say, well, seeing as though you asked, here's something. He might just bring something to your mind. So we need to be big enough to pray that prayer and say, God, bring to my mind, bring to my heart. Even in the course of this message, I encourage you just to open yourself up, even now, to the fact that God might want to press something on your heart that you need to be made aware of. There could be something in your life. You say, God, you know, just convict me. 
Is there something I need to know? Is there a pattern or a habit in my life that needs to change? And just sit with that. We're so busy. We're so chaotic. We're moving so fast in life. We do not slow enough to hear the voice of the Spirit, and especially in this crucial area of confession. So just open yourself up, and if it's not right now, then make it sometime. You just sit with God for a while. God, is there something that you want me to know, that you want me to hear? Lay it on my heart. I know you're not trying to guilt me, not to condemn me. I'm already forgiven, but God, you want to transform me now, and there may be just a next step I need to take. Is there a way that I'm acting? Is there a way that I'm thinking? Am I holding on to some bitterness towards somebody that I need to let go of and forgive them for? Maybe I even need to touch base with them and reconcile. God, is there something? Is there something? I know that's not an easy prayer to pray. Some of you are like, I don't even want to go there. But this is, this is transformative stuff. And as we pray this prayer, we're asking God not just to reveal sin, but to give us the strength to make hard decisions. Because as God reveals the stuff to you, it might be that you need to make some big calls. It might be that you need to reprioritize. You need to make some big decisions about how you're spending time, energy, finance. You know, God may say, there's some decisions you need to make. This is not just for me to convict you of so that you can just say thanks very much for the, for the feeling. This is about, okay, now what are we going to do? Now how are we going to act? Now what's going to happen? You may need to put some things in place in your life. You may need to become accountable to somebody. Ask them into your struggle and say, you know, there's this thing God's revealed to me and I just genuinely want to work through this. And I know it's going to take time and so I, I, I want you to be my accountability person and ask me some hard questions. And this isn't easy either, but you let someone else into the struggle and you say, can you hold a mirror up to my life every week, every two weeks and just keep me on this and pray for me and encourage me? You need this. We all need this, accountability. It may be that you need to go and see a counselor. There could be some deep stuff that's going on. Maybe the thing you're battling is just symptomatic of something deeper. You need to go and speak to a godly, trained Christian counselor who can start to peel back the layers, start to do the hard work of healing your past so that some of these surface things take care of themselves. Sometimes there's things that need to change when we start praying these kinds of prayers. And most of all what we're praying for is that in the moment, God would strengthen us to resist temptation. But in the moment, you know, when, 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 when your spouse just grumps at you and snaps at you, what is your instinctive response? Defend, right? The fight or flight mechanism kicks in. Most of us go for fight and we snap back. That is the, I know for me, that is the most intuitive thing. You know, if I get a grumpy or a snarky comment, bang, straight fire a bullet back. That's just how we are, right? So this is the real life stuff. This is, this is where the Lord's Prayer hits ground level. We're asking God, you know, in the moment of temptation, would you strengthen me, prompt me, kick me, do whatever you need to do so that I bite my tongue and say nothing or even better, say a soft word or a calm word that diffuses. A gentle word turns away anger, says Proverbs. That is hard. I mean, I've tried this. That's hard to do. Sounds so easy when you're sitting in a church service. So hard. It's kind of good my wife's not here today to hear this, you know. But it's hard to do, isn't it? When you get the snappy, because it's so, it's split second. You don't have time to think about this. It's so split second. So this has got to become intuitive. It's like learning to drive on the other side of the road. We're trying to develop new habits of thinking in the power of the Spirit, new ways of 
of, of acting, new habits. So this is natural. So it becomes the default setting. God, give us the strength in the moment to make a different choice, to go a different way, to start to do things that reflect your character and not this sinful character that I've got. And you know what 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says? I love this verse. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. This is a great verse to memorize. It's a good one to quote, actually, in the moment when when you're struggling. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. What a wonderful promise. Man, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it, so that you can endure it. That's one to claim right in the middle of the battle, isn't it? God, I know you will not tempt me beyond what I can bear. You've given me the power to resist. And you've given me a way out. Lord, show me the way out of here. Show me the way out because I know you've given me one. And lead me in that path. Now, the thing with that verse is there's no use praying that verse when you've already let temptation into your lounge and it's already sitting there and you're already having a cup of tea. You know what I mean? It's no use when you're already standing there with a dodgy magazine in your hand praying, God, please don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Show me the way out. No, no. What God's going to do is show you this 10 steps before that event that you needed to take. What you needed to do is not go into that video shop, that store. You needed to stay away because if you're susceptible to that, you need to put some boundaries in place. See, we're not, we're, we want to let temptation in. Hello, temptation. Come and have a seat here. Have a coffee. You want a biscuit? And then, and then we're sort of like, oh, now it's too hard. Now, you know, well, now I can't do anything. We've got to not even open the door. The Bible says flee. Tempt, don't see how close you can get to the edge of the cliff. You go, to the other, go to the other edge. Go to the other extreme. You know the stuff you're struggling with and how this works, but God's part of the, the response of God in the situation is to show us there might be some boundaries that you need to put in place so that you're not in a position where temptation seems unbearable. And the wonderful role of the Spirit in all of this is that the Spirit is not there to condemn you and to guilt trip you. The Spirit is like a little warning system. And there have been times, honestly, where just before something has happened, there's a little warning. Have you ever had this? Like, you, you don't even, it comes out of the blue. Not even premeditated, but just this warning. Something's about to happen, and I'm prompting you now so that you make, in two seconds' time, a good choice. And then sure enough, something comes on the television that I need to switch channels. Some, someone says something that I need to think carefully about responding to. This is what happens when you start walking in step with the Spirit. The promptings, the reassurings. When that accusing voice comes in, you're no good, you failed again, part of the Spirit's work is to say, you are just as forgiven as you were before you just messed up. Yeah, you stumbled, but God loves you and He's forgiven you. And the Spirit, every time, set us back on our feet. Remind us again, God's a loving Father. He's not the judge, don't listen to that voice. He's a loving Father. And He's for you. And you're going to make it and he hasn't let you go. Some of you need to hear that voice this morning. Some of you need to decide to listen to that voice. It's been a tough week for Anna and I with Joshua this week. He was in Starship on Thursday with bronchial pneumonia, and uh, you know it's kind of worn us down, and I don't know about you, but when I get tired, I'm at my worst. And, and all the habits, you know, the little inclinations, 
they come out when I'm tired. You know, I'm more snappy and grumpy. I get more stressed and flustered, more impatient, and all that this week. And here I imagine me, you know, here this morning, preaching on lead us not into temptation. Who feels like the hypocrite now? You know, this is my reality this week. You know, I've, you know, there's things I'm not proud of that I've done and said in this past week. And honestly, it just, this morning, it just reminds me again, I'm so thankful for God's grace. You know, and this is what this message has got to be about. I hope you don't hear any of this as just guilt and do better, try harder and behave yourself because that's not what Jesus came to tell us. You know. He came to tell us there's life, there's freedom, and most of all, there's forgiveness. And what I need this morning is the grace of God to hear again that Jesus loves me and that it's okay. And even though I've stumbled and slipped up, that he loves me even still. And that he's just going to dust me off and set me back on my feet. And yes, he asks me to change and work on these things in my life and seek forgiveness, but he's right there beside me every step of the way. And all this has to be in the context under this wonderful canopy of grace and God's love. So that's where I'm at. That's my reality. And I suspect it's probably yours as well. Let's uh, just enter into a time of prayer, shall we? And I want to encourage you just to bring to mind things in your life right now. Again, not an, and this is not an exercise in condemnation, but just you know, asking God. Let's just ask God together. Father, bring to our minds and hearts this morning things that we need to confess to you. God, we just still ourselves now and we just wait on you. If there are things that have happened, if there are things that haven't happened. Father, we're sorry for that stuff. Lord, we're sorry. We own it and we acknowledge it and we confess it. And we thank you that even as those words come out of our mouths, you've already forgiven us. You've already restored us. You've already poured your healing waters over us. Father, I pray for anyone this morning who is just in, in this place of being and feeling condemned. And feeling like not only are they struggling, but you've given up on them as well. Father, set them free from that this morning. Lord, let them hear you speaking over them. Love, grace, that's where the motivation to put sin to death comes from, is knowing that we are absolutely secure in your hands, in your arms. Lord, for any brother or sister here this morning that needs to hear that at a deep, deep level, Lord, because you know we... We know it in our minds, but some of us just need to get it in our hearts this morning in a new and fresh way. Lord, would you just let it sink in, even now? Just the depth of your love for us. Let us just see you as that loving Father running towards us. And let that be the center out of which we deal with temptation and sin. Father, for those things that we're battling against, we ask for strength. I ask for hope for people that have given up hope that things can ever change. Those that are stuck in patterns of addiction who feel completely powerless. God, would you visit them this morning with your hope and let them see that the future doesn't have to be more of the past, but you can set them free. And it's going to be a journey, but it can start now. And God, for the battles that we're fighting and we're losing, would you just breathe some new hope into our lives that things can change. We can step forward. We can be new people. We can be transformed. We can be people of integrity, purity, virtue.
and upright hearts. Give us an undivided heart to serve you. Give us the strength in the moment of temptation in this coming week, and you know where those moments are going to be, but in those moments to choose life and not death, to choose to speak and to think and to look and to act in ways that are honouring to you. And when we stumble and when we fall, remind us again of your grace and your incredible forgiveness that lifts us up every time and seats us with Christ in the heavenly realms. We thank you for that, and we pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.